Welcome to the official podcast of the Hoffeld Group. Your host is the CEO and Chief Sales Trainer of the Hoffeld Group, David Hoffeld. Welcome to the Science of Selling, the place where you get actionable sales insights that are backed by hard science. I am your host, David Hoffeld, and today we are going to talk about the topic of negotiating. This is important because often this is a key part of the sale when you are working with potential clients and they want to negotiate with you. So we're going to talk about how do we do this? We're going to look at a number of key areas on negotiations and what science says and give you some actionable ways to be more effective the next time you enter into a negotiation. The first thing I want to talk about is that often salespeople are very leery of negotiating. In fact, the survey that was published in Sales and Marketing Management identified that many salespeople are concerned when they enter into a negotiation because they fear it could injure their relationships with their potential client. And this gets to the number one thing I want to impress upon you when you're negotiating that most salespeople never even think about. And that is this, the key to effective negotiations is preparation. It's what you do before you begin negotiating. Oftentimes, we are far too reactive in sales when we are negotiating. We react to what our potential clients are doing. And when we do that, it puts us at a huge disadvantage. For instance, when a number of researchers did an extensive study on what creates successful negotiations, they found the number one predictor of success is preparation. Preparation matters a lot because it guides you in obtaining a comprehensive understanding of both your position and your buyers, and this radically improves the likelihood that you'll be successful when negotiating. And this doesn't have to be complex. I want to share with you just two things you can do right away to set yourself up for success. First is I want you to understand your BATNA. Now, what in the world is a BATNA? It's an acronym. And the acronym B-A-T-N-A stands for Best Alternative to a negotiated agreement. This is not a term I made up. This was conceived by two Harvard professors, Robert Fisher and William Murray, and they define a BATNA as the standard against which any proposed agreement should be measured. That is the only standard which can protect you from both accepting terms that are too unfavorable and from rejecting terms that would be in your best interest to accept. How do you identify and formulate your BATNA? Very simple, three quick steps. Number one, identify the options you could pursue if no agreement is reached. In other words, what is the second best scenario? If this deal doesn't move forward, what are my options? Step number two, identify the most promising options and look for ways to improve them. Step number three, select the best option. Now, once you have found your BATNA, you can use it as a point of reference to judge if an offer is worth taking or not. So the better your BATNA, the more flexibility you'll have in negotiating. And if you have a strong BATNA, it's often wise to even reveal it. If you have a weak BATNA, you should never tell those you're negotiating with. You want to operate out of that strength. So if you have a strong BATNA, 
In other words, if you don't pursue this client, that you have these opportunities opening up, or it wouldn't make sense for you financially to lower your price to what they're asking because of A, B, and C. You can reveal that, and that's going to strengthen your position and their perspective of it. But this also, the research has found, is also for your personal life, too. When you're negotiating with someone or beginning to or think you might be, this is a great exercise to think about, okay, if I don't reach an agreement, what are other options I could pursue? Which of those options looks the most promising? And how do I make that stronger? That gives you options. And boy, options matter a lot in negotiation. Now, let me share with you one other thing as well you can do in your preparation, and this is key. So you're not reactive, which is what most salespeople do when they're negotiating, is I want you to think through possible concessions. What conditions must be met for me to move forward with the sale? What are my must-haves? Starting to identify them, then if you do have to go into a negotiation, you can keep your must-haves, but you negotiate on those things that you'd like to get but aren't mission critical, right? So you can pick what you want to give up and what you must retain. Thinking that through gives you clarity when you're going into a negotiation, and that can make all the difference in the world. Now, in addition to that, after you've done preparation, I want to give you a lot of things on negotiation real quickly. I want to share with you something that I've talked a little bit about in previous podcasts, and we've also discussed in my first book, the science of selling, and that is the power of anchors. Boy, is this a big deal. You want to create the anchor. What is the anchor? The anchor is the reference points our brains instinctively use to create rapid judgments. It's how someone judges if your price is good or not. And in negotiations, here's what the anchor looks like. It's when before you reveal price, let's say, your potential client says, well, let me explain where we're at and here's what we're willing to offer. And now you're reacting to their number. Now they've set the anchor in the negotiation and now you're responding to it. What the research shows is as much as possible, if you can set the anchor, if you can even earlier in the sale reference what other clients like them, maybe even have paid for your product or service or the ROI they've got from it. If you can start inserting those anchors throughout the sale, that's going to set you up because here's what Nobel Prize winning cognitive psychologist Daniel Kahneman says. When you're in negotiation, you want to always be the first one to throw out an anchor. In other words, what's the reference point that your price will be judged by? You want to be the one to disclose that. And there's many, many ways to do that. We talk about it in my book. And in the podcast, we've talked about anchoring in the past as well. But for negotiations, this is mission critical. In fact, he says that anchors are so powerful and they're so covertly powerful, meaning all of us vastly underestimate the effect that anchors have on us. And I'll demonstrate this in two ways in just a minute. When he says, when you're in negotiation and someone beats you to it, they throw out an anchor first. He says, you underestimate how impacted you are by it. So you want to do two things. Number one, you want to adamantly, and he says, adamantly reject that anchor verbally, not just for the other person, but also for you. And then you want to immediately throw out a new anchor. If your potential client throws out a really low anchor, you want to reject it, show how that's not with reality, make that business case real quickly, and then immediately create that anchor, that reference point. 
These are very, very powerful. Let me give you two examples. Number one, and my favorite example of this that I just put in my new book, Sell More with Science, is imagine if I told you that I just bought a stapler, a regular stapler, nothing special about it, just went to an office supply store, bought a stapler, and I said I paid 75 US dollars for that stapler. Was that a good purchase or a bad purchase? All of us know, well, that's a horrible purchase. And who pays $75 for a stapler? I got ripped off. I way overpaid for that stapler. How do you know that so quickly? As soon as I said $75, all of us knew that's way too much for a stapler. How does your brain make such a rapid judgment? It uses an anchor. The anchor is, as soon as I said stapler, you thought of, without telling your brain to do it, your brain goes to what you paid for a stapler before, what you've seen them advertise, a number pops in your head, probably a couple US dollars. When I said $75, your brain instinctively compares it to the anchor of a couple dollars and then makes the rapid judgment of way too much money, David, for a stapler. That's the power of an anchor. It's that reference point. It's how the judgment is created. Another example of this, one powerful study. They had participants ask them, what are the last two digits of your social security number? Some people had lower numbers, three, four, one, two. Others had higher numbers like nine, eight or seven, eight. And then after they publicly stated the last two digits of their social security number, they had them evaluate one at a time a number of products from a box of chocolates, a book, a bottle of wine. And they asked them a simple question. How much would you pay for these products? What they found was that people who had just shared a high digit, meaning their social security numbers ended with larger numbers, were willing to pay as much as 300% more for the products than those who had lower digits. Again, anchors are incredibly powerful, but very covert. That's what the research shows over and over and over again. And when I teach anchors in sales training workshops, I stress this. All of us will undervalue the impact of anchors, but they are incredibly powerful. And this, again, is where we look at the science because there is decades and decades of research on anchors. They all show the same two things. Number one, anchors are unbelievably powerful. And second, everyone denies they're being influenced by the anchor while they're being influenced by the anchor. So in negotiations, you want to be very, very mindful of the anchors that are set, and you want to be the one to do that, and you can do that throughout the sale. Again, for more information on specific, check out the previous podcasts where we talk about anchors and my book, The Science of Selling. Another strategy I want to share with you as well that matters a lot in negotiations is making it personal. One powerful thing you can do when you enter a negotiation is engage in some personal conversation. This can be a warm-up, even if you're doing it with an email, even sharing about your weekend or a vacation. Keep it brief, but sharing personal information has been found in numerous studies to radically improve the success of a negotiation. In fact, when we look at one study published in the Journal of Organizational Behavior and Human Decision Processes, they found that when negotiators sent emails that included personal, very brief information, it increased the likelihood of negotiating a successful outcome for them by 
80%. So when you humanize the encounter, you make it personal, and now people are less likely to be as combative, and it makes it much more enjoyable. Rapport is built. It facilitates deeper levels of trust, and it sets you up for success. So whoever said business isn't personal hasn't looked at these studies. Negotiations should be personal. Share some information. So that way they view you not as a salesperson, but as a mother, as a father, as a sister, as a brother, as a grandson, as a grandmother, and so on. Humanize the encounter. You're someone who loves sports. You like going to this place on vacation or that place. You have similar hobbies as them, whatever it may be. Use those. It makes a big difference in negotiations. A couple last things I want to share with you about negotiations. When you're making requests or you're trying to get them to accept what you're offering. A couple things real quickly, rapid fire. Number one, ask for help. This is an interesting one. There's been a number of studies that have found that people are very open to helping others come up with workable solutions and resolutions in a negotiation if you ask them. If you don't ask them, they won't. Because in negotiations, here are the rules usually. It's me against you. And there's going to be a winner and a loser. That's the mentality many people have. We don't want to have that. We want to come along on the same side and together collaborate and create a solution that we can both win with. When you are in a gridlock, oftentimes asking someone for help. In other words, this could sound like, now, Sharon, you're a creative thinker. And boy, I need your help with this on figuring out something that will work for both of us. Now, right now, my price is $100,000. And that is our bottom line. And I know you guys want to be around that $90,000 range. So we're about $10,000 apart. Can you help me think of an innovative way that we can bridge this gap and really find a solution that works for both of us? You're inviting them in. So now it's not me against you. It's let's work together so we can both win. And oftentimes when you ask for help, it inspires that creativity and that willingness to kind of come with you and say, well, here's our main goals here. And what if we could do this? And now you can start collaborating and come to a resolution. Another thing that can really be useful in a number of studies have found is appealing to fairness, the social norm of fairness. All of us want to operate in ways that are fair. When you feel like a negotiation is being hijacked by this win-loss mentality, they're trying to win, so you're going to lose. Oftentimes, appealing to fairness. Frame your statements with, now, I believe this will be a fair solution. Or in the interest of fairness for both of us, what if we did something like this? Whatever comes next, people are far more likely to look at through the lens of fairness. So if you feel like you're being abused by a potential client, right, and they're just beating you up, and sometimes this happens, right, when you're in procurement and, you know, they're not involved in the sale, they don't even know what we're really talking about, uh, oftentimes appealing to fairness can help in that area as well as asking them for help, which people rarely do. Usually it's confrontational. When you bring them on your side, sometimes you'll be surprised and how much they'll be willing to help you. Final thing I want to share with you on negotiations is when you give up something, you want to tie it to a reason. This is a big problem in sales where oftentimes someone will ask for a discount or they'll ask for something and we'll just go, okay. So it appears as if you were trying to rip them off and your real price was lower. They asked for a discount and you just said, okay. You want to always try to tie it to something? Is there some kind of term that you can tie it to? Is there a timeline? Is there something else that you can tie it to? So if you're willing 
to negotiate on price or anything else. For you to move from your original position, you need to have a legitimate reason. Otherwise, it doesn't seem, well, legitimate. It seems like you're just playing a game. So look at it as reciprocity. In other words, if I give up something, I want something in return. That helps you keep your integrity, the trust, the relationship, and you don't fall into the stereotypical sales methodology where they just keep asking for stuff and you just keep giving it until you get to that rock bottom point. You want to come out with your best solution. And then if they want to negotiate with you, again, you've already thought through your must-haves. So what are some things that you might be willing to give up or might be willing to concede on to get other things that you must have? Make sure when they ask for something and you're willing to do it, that you get something in return. So think through all that. I gave you a lot of things on negotiation, thinking through how you can prepare to set yourself up for success and the strategies we can deploy to negotiate effectively. And then finally, how do we help frame our request and position them so we're more likely to come to a resolution that everyone is gonna feel good about? Because we don't wanna go into this win-lose mentality because that doesn't foster the relationships that we want with our client. And if we feel bad about what we've negotiated, if we feel like we're losing, well, that's not good for us either. So no one wins. We want to create those stereotypical win-win resolutions. And we talked about a number of ways from the science to do this. So what are you waiting for? Apply these principles. Think through these and strategize. Am I using these? If not, how can I begin to use them? And then get out there and sell something. I'll see you next time.